Greetings, and welcome to episode 37 of the Loaded Cart Podcast. Join Paul, Daniel, and their occasional guests as they talk about the things they love and hate about video games and the gaming industry. In this week's episode, we take a look back at the Sega Game Gear. Tangents ahoy! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to the Loaded Car Podcast. It's time once again for a console retrospective. This time, we're going portable. That's right, it's time for the Sega Game Gear. I am Paul of What's Paul Playing Today, and with me as always is Dan, otherwise known as Chop the Viking. What's up, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? No beer tonight? Just water? I'm good. But I'm a little surprised. Yeah. I'm I'm out of beer at the moment. Well, out of not ridiculously expensive beer that I don't want to drink because it's been cellared for like three years beer. That's fair. That's fair. I will bust one of those out for a special event at some point in the well, future. But we have a we special need, like, event coming up fairly soon. Well, yeah, but that's that's a ways off. I don't know, a couple, about a month. Maybe episode 50 will bust it out. Fair enough. I'm drinking a line in... Lining Kugel? I, yeah, summer shandy. It's good stuff. <laughs> Why is that funny? Ah, the Lining Kugel. It's, it's an American beer. Even uh, though it tries to sound all fancy and European. So is Budweiser. Yeah, is, well, Budweiser just rips off a better Budweiser. beer. Yeah, I mean, anyway. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's actually get into game talk. What have you been playing, man? Um... I actually haven't gotten a huge opportunity to play a lot a lot of stuff lately. Um, we got back from vacation last weekend, and I've been kind of being lazy with playing, which is annoying. But I've played some Battlegrounds. I've played some uh, Elite Dangerous because it's fun. I've mostly been doing research into buying a new cell phone, which I'm trying to figure out how I want to handle that still. But yeah, uh, I remember you venting about that. To, you have to venting yeah. about that. <sighs> it's so annoying. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> i'm just waiting for the new uh, note to come out because that's that's what i want yeah i don't i don't know if they're gonna actually do a new note probably until the the next it's probably six months you're probably gonna have to wait for that uh next quarter is what they've yeah. they've claimed is going to happen yeah we'll see yeah <laughs> i'm okay with that i mean the phone i have works and it works fine so it's yeah. a note five i'll wait for it either way yeah i'm thinking about picking up a uh, galaxy s7 because you can get them very very cheap refurbished like $350 cheap for an $800 phone so um i might be doing that yeah why not we'll see um but aside from doing that research into what freaking phone i want uh i have been playing some star wars the old republic lately and specifically going back to finish up the fallen empire stuff and it, it's actually pretty good it's a fun little storyline there's too much shenanigans in it though like there's between the, the first story and the second one there are way too many times where you face that like because i my character is a very very evil like full peg has been all the way over to the dark side and i have never done a single light side deed with this guy like everything has just been pure evil 
hatred, kill people, right. ridiculousness. And uh, he keeps basically like making all these threats like, oh, well, oh, good. Glad I finally caught up to you because now I'm going to kill you. Delightful. And there's always some bullshit deus ex machina crap that saves the antagonist and they get to they get a chance to run away or escape somehow and then you go on to the next part of the story and you chase them all down again and then at the end of that chapter you corner them again it's like ah i'm glad you're here now i finally get the chance to kill you <laughs> and then you go through the big mmo fight and you get them down to like a sliver of health and then deus ex machina saves their ass and then yeah, there's a reason it should be used sparingly in storytelling. And in fact, <laughs> the the amusing like modern wisdom for when it comes to like writing stories and movie scripts and stuff like that is that like you don't do Deus Ex Machina because you're going to piss your audience off. Like you you need to make it the hero actually is the one responsible for victory. Like it can't just be, you know, sweet meteor of death falling out of the sky and landing on the villain as they're about to, you know, stab the hero in the face. (laughs) Like it actually has to be the actions of the hero that saves the day. (laughs) Unless it's a comedy, like a, like a Simon Pegg esque comedy that could work, but only if it's done well. And, and I generally would trust Edgar Wright to do it well. Yes. But that's the problem is, it's almost never going to be done well. It's always going to be like the way it would get done well is that it would be just like this empty, disappointing ending where the hero's just like, oh, okay. Uh, yep, pretty much. I, I guess I'm, I guess I win. <laughs> like, like that's the only way it works. Yep. It, it doesn't work when you do it. Like, okay. So, for example, I'm, I think I'm in chapter five of maybe nine of the fallen empire which is the last storyline and i think it's happened four times now that the the empress chick that i'm trying to kill yeah has gotten away because of some dumb shenanigans and it's always different dumb shenanigans but it is still very very obvious that it's dumb shenanigans that is saving her life and she should have been dead actually back in the last story <laughs> because I had a chance to corner her and kill her and shenanigans saved her life. All right. Yep. I, I don't I get nothing. I mean, I understand they need her alive to tell the story and it's got to be told multiple different ways because I'm sure for the light side faction that there's some kind of redemption narrative where you can try and save the person and, you know, be all goody two shoes and, and therefore you have to drag it off over multiple things. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to kill you. I want to turn you to the light. And I'm just like, like, no, you, you betrayed me. You kidnapped my crew. You hurt my friends. I am going to to murder you. (laughs) Yeah. Like to die horribly. And I'm going to facilitate that transaction. Oh, I actually super, super pissed off one of my uh, one of my crew in the last mission because so there's this guy that betrayed me and stole a ship that belonged to me. And uh, and I spent the whole time telling him, like, if I ever see you again, I am going to kill you. If I ever see you again, I am going to kill you. And like the last chapter was him calling for help. Because you're going to kill him. No, and I'm just like, 
like thank you for bringing me back my ship was basically <laughs> the whole dialogue for it like <laughs> so about time you come crawling back thank you for my ship and then you get to the end and he's like so i don't know what happens now he's like and i'm basically my guy just goes like well thank you for bringing me back my ship and my crew they seem pretty capable you betrayed me now you die and like just killed him in front of like the whole crew and they're all pissed off at me it's like no he betrayed my trust he lied to me oh, he no. dies. <laughs> <laughs> this is why i shouldn't be allowed to have force powers because i would i would be too bad so yeah. sad i would just be an asshole an asshole tyrant i think i'm already that way but yeah so yeah. What, have, what have you been playing to so... awkwardly transition no, no, it's okay. Uh, so for the next uh, three weeks until, I believe, June 11th, um, Overwatch has their anniversary event. And I've been playing the heck out of that because loot, loot, loot. And, well, I just enjoy the game. I've also been playing the new Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Echoes. It is 10 times better than the most recent, other most recent iteration, which was Fire Emblem... Fuck it, it doesn't even matter. It was just, it was, it was not a good game. I've also been playing Final Fantasy IX because I've never actually finished it, and I kind of want to. It's it's so far a pretty fun story. I'm enjoying it. I'm on disc three now out of four. Is that the one with Steiner? Yeah, it's one with and Steiner. BB. BB. Yep, BB the okay. Black Mage. Good story. I'm I'm enjoying it thoroughly. And David Bowie. David Bowie. The main Kuja? character looks like David oh, Bowie. The Dane looks like David Bowie. I think I think that's the one. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I've also been playing Stardew Valley, which was. I mean, that's just something I've been playing while I've been waiting for uh, certain stuff to deploy online at, at work, that kind of thing. That's really about it. I mean, just having fun with those. And did you did you watch that defend defend the house thing that I sent you about the Overwatch? No, I haven't yet. Okay, I'll have I'll have to post links to it. So apparently, so there's this site that's now called uh, Defend the House. Or okay. I think it was called. It's always been called Defend the House. I don't know. Okay. But uh, the thing that they got famous for was doing MythBusters for different games, and people would send them things okay. like, "Oh, I heard you could do this crazy shit in this game," and they would literally test the crap out of it and take videos of it, and they do like all of these MythBusters things for games. And they did one for Halo and Call of Duty games, and you know, and they've been progressively doing more and more and more. But right. with Overwatch, I mean, they did some of those, but then they did a a bot match tournament in the last like for the there's a handful of heroes that can be controlled by bots okay and they basically just throw them in an arena and have them fight and they had like so who is the best character when it comes to ai controlled characters like so who is the best character yeah and apparently they got so many complaints and had so many more ideas of how to do it better that they started the tournament over and okay. uh they did tanks yesterday and i think support is today or maybe it's defenses today but uh and that you know this is you know of course pulling back the curtain so by the time this comes out like i think the first several rounds will be over um but the idea is to figure out you know like which is the best role and the best character so Basically, the the way they do it is they have a round robin of all of the they had a round robin of all two of the tanks, and uh, two. Yeah, there's only two that can be controlled by AI: Roadhog and a chick with a minigun. 
whose name I don't uh, know because I don't play mini Overwatch. gun or a large energy rifle. The large energy minigun looking thing? Well, it's basically an energy rifle. It's that's Zarya. Okay. She's got pink hair. Yes, I think Zarya. And uh Yeah. So and, and then the one the next one was gonna be the defensive guys, I think. So it was like Bastion and someone else and someone else. I think there were three, and they're gonna do a round robin best of fives to see who who gets the most yeah, who gets the most victories. And then basically it's gonna be like the the winner of the tanks versus the winner of the defense versus the winner of the DPS versus the winner of the support. And like those four are gonna go round robin to see who is the the best character in uh an overwatch that can be huh. done by the AI. Like, huh. <laughs> so I don't, it's kind of interesting. Like I don't play the game and I think it's interesting to watch just to see the, how yeah. it shapes up. So seems like fun. Yeah. Okay. Do we have any cleanup from last episode? I don't think we do. Yeah. DLC microtransactions. Um, no, not except for the uh, funny rooster teeth thing. <laughs> okay. So, folks, we've been doing these episodes of the, our regular topic episodes for a while now. And almost every time that I either come to Dan with an, a topic idea or we do an episode on a certain topic, somewhere within two or three weeks' time, Rooster Teeth puts out an episode. Of, no, it, it's been like every week. Like that's how crazy it's been. It's 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 been pretty close. Like I know, like I know one of them was like within a two week period. It's it's within that like two to three week period that we just pops up with an episode of the same topic that we've been discussing. Yeah, and so one of them was oh, I can't even remember what the first one was, but it was something like really hilarious. They're like, oh, we should totally do this, and like literally the next day, or no, it was a couple hours later. Uh, yeah. Rooster Teeth. On, through the no posted a a big yep retrospective on whatever it was we were talking about I can't um, remember what episode it was yeah i can't either but this most recent one was oh one we did was we did the sega dreamcast so we did our sega dreamcast episode it released and then like that weekend or maybe it was that it like right around the exact same time they did an episode on the dreamcast and why it failed as a console yeah. and this most recent one was they did a big thing on where microtransactions come from and the history of microtransactions. <laughs> and it was like, we released our episode on Monday, they released theirs on Saturday. <laughs> There's it's it's a little more focused and a little more journalisty. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it's actually, actually it's really good to watch. And it, it had some really interesting ideas like how microtransactions probably come from coin op arcades. Like that's kind of the the root of kind of where they originate from like you know the original microtransaction is just popping quarters in a machine to keep going yeah pretty it's much. like it's like oh that's kind of cool it's the same so, idea really yeah all right we got a bunch of news for you folks so prepare for another 45 minutes of us talking about fucking news again so what's really interesting is that uh so Destiny 2 got picked up by Activision Blizzard and is now going to be hosted on PC only on Battle.net. And the funny part is, is that from that, it caused a record-breaking number, a record-breaking spike in how much the World of Warcraft tokens are. Yeah. So WoW tokens are in-game currency for World of Warcraft. Uh, basically... Uh, they're kind of a special premium currency that you can use to either extend their your in-game subscription, like you can buy in-game time, 
or you can sell them on the auction house for gold. And apparently the WoW token spiked to costing 230,000 gold for one in Europe and 140,000 gold for one in North America. Yeah. I mean, so the the reason it it spiked is because because the game is going to be offered on Blizzard, you should be able to use these coins yes. to purchase stuff in Destiny 2 whether that's subscription time if they do to purchase Destiny 2. Yeah. Because it's not Destiny One was not a subscription model. You just yeah. bought the game and then bought yeah, the expansion. I'm, I'm not expecting it to be a subscription game, but yes, it's it's basically. So for a little more context, um, it costs twenty dollars or fifteen pounds sterling to buy a single WoW token from the in-game shop, with it then being redeemable for fifteen dollars or ten pounds sterling of battle net balance. So. No one exactly became the digital wolf of Wall Street from the spike, but it may have raised enough gold to purchase some more WoW tokens, which could then be used to finance copy of Destiny 2. So basically, yeah. people are selling the gold, selling the tokens off, buying them, and then hopefully causing Destiny 2. I thought it was an interesting little article, and just that spike in price is an interesting look into the economics of World of Warcraft and the little microcosm that Blizzard has created. Yes. Anyway, I see you. I see you got another piece of news here about something about Nintendo. Yeah. So this is something interesting because it's something we've talked about in the past. Um, and particularly about the Nintendo PlayStation, which is what spun off to be the Sony PlayStation. And someone found a prototype of the Nintendo PlayStation because basically there were only a few dozen in existence ever at any point in time and they had all been destroyed when the project broke up so right. there were there are not supposed to be any in existence and Oops. someone found one and sent it to a guy who's like a, a popular youtuber and gamer and i don't know his name i don't remember his name um but he hacked it and got it working again and got it to boot. And there are no known games that work for it. Oh, it was Ben Heck. Yeah. I, was, I, I don't remember the name, but you, you we were talking, yeah, we no, talked about this ben Heck. Like a week ago, I think. Yeah, it actually was Ben Heck. He apparently has been working on this for a while. And if you're not familiar with the Ben Heck show, Ben Heck is basically a dude who will, uh, he's an electronics wizard. He can basically build just about anything, and his show is is surrounding that particular point. Uh, we'll include a link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's a very interesting episode because the dude is just magic when it comes to that particular item. Like anything electronic, it's really, yeah. he's just magical. But yeah, they got it to boot and got it to post and everything, and they got it working. They got everything working, which is just really crazy. But like, they, like I said, they, they have no known working games for it. And it's just, it's there. It's neat. Uh, who knows? Who knows what will happen? It's just kind of just a neat little piece of gaming trivia history. But meh. 
Yeah, I, I just I, I think it's an interesting little bit of trivia. We'll include the Ben Heck show in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Uh, if even if you don't watch the this particular working PlayStation prototype, he's done some amazing builds, like a portable Xbox One that's basically folds into a briefcase. Same thing with the PS4. He's done breakdowns of what's in the PS4, the PS4 Pro. Same with the Xbox 360 Elite. It really interesting stuff if you're really into electronics like I am. Next, though, so Bayonetta was fairly popular on the Nintendo Wii uh, and the Xbox 360, right? Mm -hmm. They recently re-released a a revamp of it on PC, and Sega is apparently pretty pleased with the numbers. It's been doing really well. In the first month since the release, it sold 170,000 copies on PC through Steam, which is pretty impressive. I mean, apparently the game is sold exceptionally well, stating that Sega is really happy with the performance of Bayonetta. The game has certainly exceeded expectations, hopefully paving the way for more console ports of hack and slash titles. So with that, I feel like it's it's a nice little stepping stone for Sega, especially because Sega, of course, has stepped back from making consoles and everything and gone into both publishing and developing their own games. Those games have not been the greatest but it's nice to see that Sega hit a home, a little small home run here. Yeah, that is pretty cool. It's yeah. it's weird that they re-released Bayonetta. Like, it's just like, really, that a PC port of that game? Like, but apparently, it, it apparently I my weird hesitation for it is not justified because a ton of people bought it. Yeah, not a huge wasn't a huge fan of it when I when I saw the uh, the trailers for it. I picked up the controller played it for a little bit and just i mean what my thing it looks hilariously over the top like it looks yeah. just like a crazy weird beat em up game but right. uh, either way i got one more piece of news then i think i see you have one more but yes so completely off topic of video games it's just an interesting little tidbit around uh filmmaking and uh, specifically movies hollywood is no longer the number one filming location in the world for movies that honor now belongs to Georgia. Um, Atlanta apparently is the number one location for movie filming. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they, according to the article here, uh, they 17 feature films were shot in Georgia in 2016, beating California as the top location for feature film and production and making it the number one filming location in the world. Yeah. I, I know that pretty much the entire Marvel universe is filmed here. Except yeah. for maybe the Sony stuff, but all of the actual Marvel like Avengers yep. and that like the, the Marvel core Marvel titles, yeah, they, they're all filmed in Georgia. Yeah, I know that. Uh, in fact, the first still uh, from a movie is from Guardians of the Galaxy two. Yeah, well, and it's funny because the guy that bought my old house here in Atlanta when we moved out to the suburbs, uh, he actually worked on those movies. like he actually is involved with those with the production of those and he he was tired of renting suites like you know how you just like come in or an airbnb or rent stuff so he bought yeah he because he has a house out in california so he what he just he bought a house in i mean he's uh, gonna be working here for the foreseeable future you might as well so basically what he does is when when he's filming here he lives in the house and when he's not he just rents it out as an airbnb that's awesome. for, for people for other people working on other movies basically but it was also really funny because when we got the offer they were like yeah 
we're, we're just going to pay asking price. And our only request is that you leave all of the kitchen appliances. And we're like, okay, we, we can do that. <laughs> uh, you, you want the washer and dryer too? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking take it. I don't care. You're going you're gonna to give, give me my asking price? Yeah, you, you fucking have all of it. Yeah. Like he had just finished filming uh, Winter Soldier, I think. And yeah, he had a, like a little bit ago. And he had like a month between when that movie like wrapped. wrapped and when he had to go back to California. So he he had like a month to find a house and he's like, I want to close super fast. So we're like, we need to stay in the house until sometime in September. And he's like, Fuck. He no, he's like, That's cool. I don't have to be back until October. <laughs> he's, he's like, We'll work it out. You can pay us you can pay me this much rent to stay in the house for a month. And we're like, All right, cool. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was fine. Yeah, all that's right. Got, what we did. We we're like, we're, we're cool. Yeah, you got one more piece of news, and I think it's pretty interesting here. Uh, yeah. So very, very quietly recently. So this is kind of weird. So, you have you seen how Twitter shows baseball games lately? Like literally, if you go on the Twitter website, like there it yeah. airs baseball so, games sometimes. So it's very similar to what the NFL did last season, which is they had their Thursday night games, like like half of the Thursday night games were broadcast live on Twitter. Yeah. So Facebook recently came to an agreement with Major League Baseball to also air about 20 games yeah. over the course of the year are going to be aired on Facebook. Right. I don't know if they're exclusively on Facebook, but it's just kind of they're a streaming partner for Major League Baseball. Sure. But, but what kind of went totally under the radar because of Major League Baseball being involved, they also partnered with ESL, the Electronic Sports League, right. and they're going to stream more than 5,000 hours of game tournaments like ESL tournaments on Facebook over the next like year or so, which is absolutely nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty insane. So yeah, the, so Facebook is apparently getting into the esports game just just as a streaming partner. So again, trying to compete with Amazon and Twitch and Google with YouTube, they're. Uh, it's interesting to have these big, big companies duking it out. Yeah. Um, I do have one more bit of news that I remember as you were talking about uh, the esports scene. Yeah. Apparently, China is going to have an esports town and it will have an actual esports university, which I find incredibly interesting. So, Tencent is China's largest online games developer. And among other things, they're building an entire town dedicated to esports. Yeah, uh, the town's going to be located in Wuhu, East China, where Tencent has just signed a framework agreement with local government. So the planned esports town is going to have an esports theme park, university, cultural and creative park, animation industrial park, a creative neighborhood, a Tencent technology entrepreneurship community, and even a Tencent cloud data center. Yeah, uh, if you are unfamiliar, uh, Tencent is actually like probably one of the biggest gaming companies you've never heard of yep. uh they own league of legends like they bought like just flat out bought riot games and 
they're actually this is something that's really interesting and something i might actually write about soon they're yeah. gonna bring a streaming game delivery service to the u.s soon Which and they renamed it because it's just called like tencent gaming service or something weird like that in sure. in china but they already have 200 million people using it Yep, because it's China. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, it's China. They probably can do. But they're so, aiming to compete with Steam, and they might actually be able to do it because they already have 200 million people using their service. Yeah. So here's some of their subsidiaries and what their holdings are. They own outright Riot Games. They have a 84.3% uh, market share in Supercell Games, which are the developers and creators of Clash of Clans. And they have a... This is interesting. A 48.4% share of Epic Games. Which I thought was super interesting because, well, Epic is all kinds of craziness. I mean, you probably know the best for, oh, let's see here, the Gears of War series. Yeah. Because they also they also picked up uh, People Can Fly, which was a um, Polish company. Uh, company that uh, created the oh gosh what do they create painkiller series uh which i thought was pretty interesting um so i thought it was kind of cool that the, this company this huge tencent games or tencent company literally owns most of what you're playing yeah they they do they, it's it's scary how much money they make like because the highest grossing video game like in current history and production is literally league of legends like it makes more money yeah. than any other game out there um uh, and, and they own it <laughs> they they just they like literally outright bought the company that makes the largest grossing game in history <laughs> so they do have one more holding or at least 12 percent of that holding and we've already talked about them pretty extensively tonight activision blizzard they have a 12% share of Activision Blizzard. Yeah, they they have their hands in a large number of pies. They really do. Uh, anything else newsworthy happened recently? No, I think I think I'm I'm tapped out on news right now. I'm pretty tapped out too. So, folks, um, onto the main topic. <laughs> so this is going to be a really kind of a strange episode because I never owned and never played a Game Gear. Not yeah. once in my life. I owned one. I still own it. Um, it's actually in Virginia right now. Uh, so I'm, I might need to grab it at some point in time. But Might as well, right? I, I mean, I'd never owned very many games for it because they were hard to come by. And we had like six consoles to buy games for. So <laughs> things got spread pretty thin because by the time this was out, like Super Nintendo was around. Yeah. Essentially. So... Game Boy still held the biggest market share of yeah. everything. We, really. we had we had a Game Boy too, so it was just kind of it was a neat thing that we owned. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just going to be a weird episode of me kind of nodding and smiling a bit yeah. and saying, "Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, it's pretty cool." But thankfully, we do have some stuff that that Paul can contribute, and we can we can play the Pokemon game with him later when it comes to the oh, weird peripherals. <laughs> <laughs> so actually the weird peripherals i've actually heard of all of these which is very interesting yeah because, uh, all of them are really cool but we'll get to those in a little bit yeah um 
so, so yeah, the Game Gear was weird because it was super a, a yeah, it was it was a period of time where Sega was like trying to be super competitive with Nintendo and they were pretty kind of neck and neck uh globally yeah. at least when it There's, when it came to like the Sega Master System and the NES in the US like the the NES just kicked the crap out of the Master System. Um, but you remember the, the the little thing called the Bit Wars? Yeah, it was between yeah. Sega and Nintendo. Yeah. And the it was really big with the the Genesis and the Super NES like they they seem to at least do a pretty good job like being pretty level with each other and i i had always you were usually either a hardcore super nes fan or a hardcore genesis fan and most people didn't own both you owned one or the other yeah and usually it wasn't it wasn't too bad because usually you had a friend who owned the other one so like you could you know get a taste for it periodically yeah it was just an interesting time in video games so Mm -hmm. Nintendo is kind of bowed out of the direct competition with uh, Microsoft and Sony. They're they're yeah. they've got their own niche market. They've got a huge following of Nintendo fans, and that's enough for them. Yeah, and it's but, actually not a bad thing. I actually kind of think that the Switch is finally like the position Nintendo needs to be in. Like it's it's really weird to think about because like it's totally a gimmick like i mean the wii was a gimmick the wii u was kind of a gimmick but was on to something even though it didn't sell very well and the switch seems to be like right where nintendo wants to be because it is this very interesting device that people can talk about and it can actually play a decent number of games and it allows nintendo to branch out and become this weird new company uh because one of the neat things that people don't talk about a lot and that is kind of, they're starting to get hints of this is that it's powered by the Nvidia Tegra chip. So it is literally an Android tablet with a Nintendo skin on it. And what makes it cool is theoretically any game that Nintendo programs for the Nintendo Switch can also be ported to Android. Hmm. And weirdly, there are hundreds of millions of Android phones on the market. <laughs> no, you're kidding. So, so do you remember do there's you remember when uh, Nintendo made that first little foray into mobile gaming with the Mario Run? Yeah. Hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. So there, there's some interesting rumors going around right now that you might actually see like big first party Nintendo titles getting mobile releases soon. Like one of the ones that's being speculated right now is the new, like the Mario Rabbids crossover one with Ubisoft. Interesting. They got announced this week that might actually see life, the light of day on mobile platforms, which could be again, really interesting, but that's what I think Nintendo needs to do to survive is because it's one thing if you can reach the, you know, 40 million people that own a Switch, it's entirely something else if you can reach the 40 million people that own a Switch and then the 500 million people that own Android phones hmm. or iOS phones. Like, it just makes a lot more sense if they start doing that. Uh, because 
the only way you're playing it the only way you're playing it on a big tv is with the switch but sure you're still going to get people you know microtransactions and stuff like that on mobile devices absolutely tons of microtransactions in fact although i think we've completely deviated from the actual main topic of the sega game gear yes <laughs> <laughs> anyway welcome to tangentville yeah um, no shit population you yeah but we could talk about we'll, we'll maybe we'll do a switch episode soon please don't <laughs> get a guest just, on i'll just kind of sit here and read a magazine or something oh i've never played the switch so well yeah i've briefly touched it and handed it back to somebody who gave it to me because they wanted it was like a child the switch is like a fucking child like oh here you want to hold it no i'm good i don't want anything to do with that i'm fine thanks yeah anyway um back yeah. to the game gear yeah back to the game gear <laughs> <laughs> so makes the game gear interesting is its position versus the game boy because it came out about a year and a half after the game boy so i mean everyone knows the iconic game boy brick there was mm -hmm. this weird thing with a weird green screen that somehow actually had decently playable games on it even though it was monochrome but sega had this big thing that they had a lot of success with especially with the genesis of being like what I guess would in modern times be the precursor to the extreme stereotype, like for, yeah, yeah. pretty much <laughs> the mountain, the Mountain Dew of consoles before Mountain Dew became the Mountain Dew of sodas. <laughs> the thing that defined the '90s really, the extreme movement. I mean, they had all those advertisements that were just fucking ridiculous. Like, if I remember correctly, they had someone pooping on a Nintendo console at some point, literally in one of their advertisements. Yeah. Like they they had a bunch of really hilarious advertising shit going on. Genesis but, does what Nintendo don't. Yeah, very very famous shit they said at the times. Yeah. So what made it interesting was that they took a lot of the criticism that people had of the Game Boy, which was that it was this weird, cramped, awkward shape, and they made the console wider so it was easier to hold on to they gave it a full color screen it can show 32 colors at a time so it's you know got a decent color palette mm -hmm. and it was it had a backlit screen so you could play it in the dark and which was a huge thing because yeah in order to play the game boy in the dark you had to just basically put it on life support it had so many machines attached to it and just to get the ability to play at night it just it you, had to, you had to have like a little through. book light yeah, <laughs> like pretty it, much like hanging over it but it had some really really interesting stuff uh but one of the biggest problems that it had was that it i mean eating batteries is not an adequate description of what this thing did no no it's it's sawed through batteries like a goddamn lumberjack yeah so in, to put it in perspective, the original Game Boy could go for about 30 hours of gameplay on four AA batteries. If you're which, pretty conservative with the gameplay, yeah. Which sounds pretty freaking impressive. Like, for that, that time of day? For this time of era, it's pretty impressive still. Yeah. The Game Gear 
took six batteries, mm -hmm. six AA batteries. And if you were lucky, you could get three to five hours out of six batteries. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the term that I used in the show notes, because it really did, it played hungry, hungry hippos with batteries. Because really you were just, if you did not have rechargeable batteries, you were totally just swapping them out or just plugging into a Play wall. In yeah. So I do find it interesting. And I, I see your note here that uh, it is really interesting that this is the exact expected battery life of the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Three to five, Three to five hours. hours. Six if you're lucky. Yeah. Which is really strange. But but it, I, I personally, I find it interesting because back in the day, this was seen as terrible. Yes. Absolutely. Like three to five hours on on oh, awful. on your battery. That's that's. I mean, you're going to be spending hundreds of dollars on batteries, which you Absolutely. did if you did not have uh, rechargeables or some or solution. Outlet, yeah. Um, but the, for the Switch, it's a bragging thing. Like you can get console quality 720p gaming three to five hours on the go. We kick ass. <laughs> which is which, honestly, with that particular caveat with the fact that you can get 720p gaming on a handheld console that's genuinely impressive yeah but it's like, just I'm not even mad but it's just interesting where perspective has shifted in the past you know 20 years it all it all also goes to show you just how great a good marketing team can be yeah nintendo marketed this this console wonderfully they did a fantastic job of marketing just what you were getting and how cool the thing was that you were getting it's just they did i can't be mad at nintendo's marketing team i, I don't like nintendo i don't like their first party titles but they just did a stellar job with this particular mm -hmm. console they just did yeah sega on the other hand <laughs> shot themselves in the feet as usual like this is <laughs> this is times this is not so abnormal so this is funny because it's it's like this is right around the time where it seems like there was a big just giant clusterfuck at Sega where between trying to prolong the 16-bit era for their Genesis and trying to compete with and play catch up with Nintendo in the handheld market, they just they couldn't do all of it at once and they everything suffered for it which is kind of just really weird um yeah. yeah so it did pretty good it's safe to say so it released in october of 1990 in japan and which is about a year and a half after the game boy launched like i said uh and it sold 40,000 units in the first two days and 90,000 units by the end of the month so that that's pretty freaking good like, yeah that's quality right there back back in that day. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's about what the Nintendo Switch sold because of supply shortage. Yeah. Uh, I'm making fun of you. And the and the NES Classic sold even less because yep. <laughs> they didn't expect anyone to buy it for some stupid reason. But the funny part with the the game gear is apparently at one point in time they had six hundred thousand units on back order because they were sold out. And had to play catch up when it came to production, which that's kind of astounding. Like that, that many people were interested in it in Japan. So, 
and then North America happened and Sega had some issues uh mainly in their advertising campaigns you're kidding Sega <laughs> had issues <laughs> so apparently Sega took the success that they were having with the Genesis and and they're advertising it as a more mature console for grown-ups um <laughs> They decided to do a similar marketing push for the Game Gear and got a little bit of controversy at one point in time because they have an advertisement, which is hilarious in just how bad it is. And I, it's, it's a dog sitting there looking at you and it says, if you were colorblind and had an IQ less than 12, you wouldn't mind which portable you had. It had the Game Bo Game Boy sitting next to the Game Gear, and like its little derpy green screen versus the full color one, and <laughs> and people were a little mad. I guess is kind of one way to look at it. Nintendo actually both criticized Sega for the marketing campaign and actually like organized protests against the game gear uh because of sega insulting disabled gamers <laughs> so so to put the size of the game gear into perspective the nintendo switch is about four inches by 9.4 inches long and a uh, half inch deep the game gear however is 1.4 inches deep uh let's see here uh eight inches wide yeah. and four inches in height yeah it is it's it is about... the it is the depth of a game boy so it's it is still as thick as an original game boy like it's yes. just as thick yes. only it's like twice as wide <laughs> yes but it's it's about the same size as nintendo switch just thicker yeah it's which is kind of funny yeah yeah, and, stream, and <laughs> one of the things that kind of cracks me up about this whole thing even more so than just the Nintendo actually was trying to organize protests against Sega in the United States which sounds just absolutely hilarious <laughs> um, is that it didn't seem to affect sales at all in the US like it actually didn't do anything and it's totally insane to think about because imagine if someone ran that ad campaign today and just how they would just get murdered in social media like they would not only that but they would be buried in litigation and, and their and their yelp reviews would would just bottom out yep like, pretty much all one stars yeah well, <laughs> would not buy again <laughs> false advertising pretty much yeah so where where did it go wrong? Why did they only sell 10 million units? Oh man. So Sega is is a kind of company that just they were very ambitious. If you're familiar with the tale of Icarus, he flies too close to the sun, is super ambitious, his wings melt and he falls to the ground. Very similar to what Sega, what happened to Sega. Sega just had too much of everything, just stuff, just things happening yeah. and going on. And it, and it just kind of the Game Gear just kind of got lost in the shuffle. When it launched, it was just pushing the Genesis and the Game Gear. 
By the end of the Game Gear's life, it was trying to get people to buy a Genesis, a 32X, a Sega CD, a Game Gear, the Sega Nomad, which I really want to talk about in an episode, and was already moving on to develop the Saturn. So that, so between the release of the 32X and the Saturn in North America was six months. That's how much we're talking about trying to push everything. They just had so much crap that they were trying to shill. They just can't. They just couldn't. Like the, the the market was just not there. The dollar didn't stretch far enough in order to get there. So all this stuff got crammed together, and it just hurt everything. Like this is why Sega kind of went down because the Saturn was the the last was the last console, or was it the Dreamcast? Uh, no, the Dreamcast was the last console. The Dreamcast was their one last hurrah, which came out I think two years after the Dream or after the Saturn, maybe a little less. It was just, man. So, I was gonna say to to put it in perspective. So you had the Game Gear release in the U- U.S. in 1991, so April of 91. Yeah. Sega CD came out in October of 92, yep. so like a year and a half later. Sure. Um, the 32X was 1994, so like a couple yep. years after that. Sega Nomad was 95 and apparently only released in the US. Yep. It was a really cool peripheral though. Yeah. And see and yeah. So and then the Saturn, I don't remember when the Saturn came out, probably 96, I'm gonna guess. It was six months after the release of the 32X in the US. Okay, so it was 95, May of 95. Yeah. So yeah, so you had all of that stuff crammed into a four-year period. It just and, wasn't going to happen. Yeah. On the flip side. And, and we know that the, we talked about the Sega, we say a Genesis, like we know the 32X didn't sell very well. We know the Sega CD no. didn't sell very well. No. I and, had one though. Yeah. Unfortunately, we know the Nomad didn't sell very well. Um, Which sucks because it was so cool. Yeah. It's it, basically, if you don't know, the uh, Sega Nomad was a portable they could actually play Genesis games. It was a literal portable Genesis. It had a an LCD screen. We'll go into it in another episode, I hope. Mm-hmm. It was super cool. It was just it was the coolest thing that I had for a very long time. But compare all those things: the 32X, the Genesis, Sega CD, Game Gear, Sega Nomad, and the Saturn that came out fairly soon after to mm-hmm. Nintendo, which had the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy. That's it. That was their entire lineup. They didn't need anything else. They blew Sega out of the water because they only had two things. Yeah, Customers weren't inundated with a bunch of stuff that they didn't want or care about. Well, and so the, the Game Boy is interesting just in its what it did. So you had the Game Boy already going strong by the time this the game gear came out the the thing that kind of killed the game gear was like just kind of the final like uh crap the game gear it's just it's done uh was when the nintendo released the game boy pocket yeah and the game boy pocket was just this amazing tiny game boy like it was 
super, super tiny compared to the original Game Boy. So to put it in perspective, the Game Boy Color, so the Game Boy Pocket was 65 millimeters, 2.56 inches diagonal, the screen, a 1.91 inch in width and 1.7 inches, inches in height. It was a small but very useful little pocket item. It was about the size of a wallet, well, your standard male wallet. Mm-hmm. Not that big. You put it in your pocket and go. It's about the size of a cell phone. It also used two AAA batteries. Which gave them quite a bit of battery life for a small amount. 10 hours for two AAA batteries compared to Insane. 30 hours for four AA batteries versus three to five hours for six AA batteries. Like So people, like they knew the Game Boy lineup. They've seen these hundreds of great games to play for the Game Boy and then they all just played Tetris. Yeah. It, and Pokemon. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Super Mario World got outsold by far by Tetris and Pokemon. <laughs> anyway, so to put perspective with just how badly Nintendo beat the crap out of Sega in this case, Game Gear moved 10.62 million units. Not bad. Not terrible. The original Game Boy sold 118 million. This is insane. That includes the uh, Game Boy Pocket and possibly the Game Boy Color. I don't remember. Either way, it's still a massive amount compared to the paltry one-tenth of the size, 10.62 million. Yeah, it is is (sighs) ridiculous ass-kicking. Yeah, just insane. All right. Games? We can we can talk games. Yes. Yes. Let's talk games. So I didn't own very many games for this console, maybe ten total in my lifetime. I I can probably find four of them. <laughs> like it's <laughs> I was I was a kid when, when this was uh was out. Right. So yeah. didn't get the greatest taken care of. There's a couple of just funny ones that I have, like, because I kind of looked through the, the list of games they had released for them and just kind of threw some notable ones on a list and, and and some ones that I played. Because one of the things that was interesting about this console is that they did a shit ton of ports to it from yes. other systems. And they there were definitely hits and misses, which were kind of funny. Um, yeah. But my favorite game that I think I, I've seen is there's a game called Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine that is just like 100% Sega Dr. Mario knockoff game. <laughs> and no, it's not talking about his balls. No. Although it could be because that is Possibly. a very suggestive title. There was also Earthworm Jim. Yeah, they, they ported Earthworm Jim to it and pretty good I, actually i remembered it being good like i yeah. it's i have good memories of it i love the earthworm gym games they were really they were fun just weird little platformers had yeah. a really great sense yeah. of humor uh the cartoon was kind of crappy but it yeah. lived up to this to the game though that's the worst part is that it was it it did justice to the game the yeah. problem was that the cartoon turned out crappy too yeah which is really weird yeah uh another actually surprisingly decent port was echo the dolphin 
and the sequel to Echo the Dolphin. Like both of them got ported and for kids at least they were really good. I don't know yeah. if an adult would have agreed at the time. Fuck them. Yeah. Uh they also did a a port of Marble Madness which was a great NES game. Uh oh, and fantastic. So also that one ended up being pretty fun to play. Um so this one is interesting. There's a Mega Man game for the Sega Game Gear that is not a port of the original Mega Man. It is a completely unique game that from what people say about it, it kind of falls between Mega Man 4 and Mega Man 5 as far as like the boss fights and the level design go. Um, And it had some really weird differences to the console games. Like it had vertical scrolling because the Game Gear's small screen, like you could actually jump up and it would like move up slightly and move up and down like a little bit to incorporate the whole level. So the levels were basically the same size, just the screen couldn't display the whole thing. Right. Um, uh, when you you know killed someone and there was a power up, it would bounce on the ground instead of just you know sitting there and hovering, like it does in the Mega Man games. And there was also a hard difficulty mode. Yeah, so you had normal, and then once yeah. did it require you to beat the game in order to unlock it? Yes. Because you would beat the game and it would give you a password and that password would unlock hard mode because it had passwords and there were no continues in the game. Wow. That is difficult. Like, yeah. So it's notorious for being a little bit of a brutal game, but it's one of those like connoisseur. You have to be like a super hardcore Mega Man fan to track this one down and play it at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. One of my oddly favorite racing games got ported to the system which is the micro machines games both micro machines games for from uh codemasters like they were just kind of cool you just race little cars around everyday surfaces like kitchen tables stuff like that i think we talked about it with the nes we did a bit yeah uh because it was was also (laughs) mortal Kombat for some reason I mean, it is it is exactly as bad as bad as you think an eight bit handheld port with a two button layout could be. Yeah, exactly. Like there there are literally yeah. We didn't explain this, but the Game Gear only has two buttons. It basically has an A and a B button, or I think a start button. I think it's one and two on this because they 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 took the same layout as the original. um, God, it was the master system. It was the master, master system, system controller. controller. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was which had one and two and select and start. Yeah. Although this one just has start and one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Big blue um, start button with a nipple on it. Don't know why. Yeah. That's, I don't know why I remember that either. <laughs> so you can find it if you're blind. I guess. Shrug. Why I, would I you playing it if you're know. blind? But whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> another terrible port nba jam i'm gonna put a uh try and find a youtube video of the nba jam game for uh the game gear in the show notes because it's it's like it'd be like oh nba jam i remember this really cool arcadey you know kind of thing and you look at this and you go like i i'm watching colored stick figures play basketball this is really weird this what, is not how is, I remember it. it, it what, what is this thing? Yeah. Huh? 
but there was a road rash port. Was it any good? It, it was okay when you couldn't play the real road rash. This one, this next one though, is uh, something that's going to really, really please Tyler. Yes. Tadbog, because uh, it's Shining Force, the Sword of Haja. Yes. In fact, I'm pretty sure I sent him a picture of the game cart yep. when I was in Richmond at one point in time on, sure did. on, on Twitter. I sent the Tadpog guys a picture yeah. of this. I was like, hey, look what I found. In, uh, yeah. It was, it was pretty funny. It made me it made me chuckle because that that's probably my favorite game from the Game Gear era. Um, just like it was a weird tactical RPG, and I'd never played one before at that point, other than the Gold Box games for D and D. So it was like, oh, this is really cool, and uh, I never beat it. I probably never never even got halfway through the game. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was just fun. It was weird. If you- if you haven't played the Shining Force series, uh, they're very, very similar to the Game Boy or um, Game Boy and Nintendo DS uh, series of Fire Emblem, which I deeply love. They're very, very similar. Yeah, they're a little weirder. Yeah, probably like they're no, a little. Anyway. Yeah, there was a really, really good Space Harrier port. Yeah. which actually was really good despite the fact that it is so low resolution and like there's a lot of weird graph like if you watch video of it now you're like that is there are so many weird graphical glitches there and it, it this is not the original arcade game but <laughs> but it was it was one of those things where like it's good enough that it's fun and like you can you can deal with the fact that you know it's not arcade perfect because you know it's it's on a freaking portable and i can play it in the car <laughs> i can play space harrier on the go how cool is that yeah um and back to the uh really bad ports streets of rage and streets of rage 2 were they really that bad oh my god like I, I, here let me let me find something for you oh yeah that's good all right okay Check, check that out. Tell, tell me what you think. Okay. Skip ahead a little bit into the video, like just just so you can witness some of that gameplay. The sound is terrible. It actually <laughs> looks a lot like the original Streets of Rage, though. That doesn't look too bad. I like how it says instead of "go," it says "God." That's interesting. So you see any of the "go" prompts that usually occur in Streets mm-hmm. of Rage? It says "God." Let's go. It probably says go. It's just such a low poly thing that it... Yeah. So for a little context, I just watched a brief video of the Streets of Rage gameplay, the original Streets of Rage port. Uh, It actually looked pretty okay. Like, it did not look terrible. That doesn't mean that the game wasn't terrible. It's just that it didn't look that bad. Anyway. It's, it's super low res. Like oh, the, yeah, yeah. It, and I'll definitely put it in the show notes so you can watch it too. Uh, we, we Basically, it's a 30-minute video and we just kind of... It's, it's a full play of the original yeah. Streets of Rage. And yeah. it really didn't look terrible. Like, I, I could probably get behind that, but the sound. Oh my god, the sound. Well, that was bad. It, it's a, a terrible... It's an old, old handheld c- console. Like, they're all yeah. bad. Like, the original Game Boy has horrible sound. People just have they, have rose-colored glasses when they look back on <laughs> think back on their time with the original yeah. Game Boy. But the it was trouble with rose-colored glasses is that red flags just look like flags. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So probably one of the most interesting game franchises that came out on the Game Gear was there are three X-Men games for the Game Gear and they're all action platformer beat-em-ups. Like they're all similar to the arcade game. Like remember the arcade game, like the really awesome six player arcade game where you could run around and beat the crap out of people. But why? So imagine that, but like constrained to 2d and platformy where you beat people up and they were kind of interesting where you would basically you start the game. And there are only like a couple of people you could play. Like I think the original one, I think it was Cyclops and Wolverine. And then when you beat the game with Cyclops, it would unlock someone else and you could play the game through as them. And it would just, you know, you would get more and more story as you unlocked all these different people. Right. And then, then they made a sequel to it and then they made a sequel to that. But the interesting thing is they were not on any other system. Like they were exclusive to the game gear, which is nuts. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. So, a couple of weird things. I can't find any sales data at all for the Game Gear. I I have strange. I spent about two hours trying to find anything on the best-selling games for the console, and there was nothing. Like I could find zero. I could find tons of lists of people's favorite top game games. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah it probably it was because it came with system. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a cheap cop out. Yeah, it was. So so that should tell you, okay, so a couple of the things that have been in this list so far. So Columns was a, a weird puzzle game that was bundled with the Game Gear to compete with Tetris that was bundled with the Game Boy. Yep. So it was a knockoff, a Tetris knockoff to try to compete with that. Then you have the Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Beater Machine, machine and uh, the Dr. Mario knockoff. Like that should tell you something about the just incorrect approach that Sega made to the system. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it could have been cool. Uh, some of the stuff well, actually was, uh, but they kind of just missed. Uh, they really did. They did have plans to make a 16 bit handheld to follow up the Game Gear, but like they, they talked about it. There were some rumors that flew around, and then it never showed up. Yeah, I mean, they had too much on their plate. They were getting ready to go under and file for bankruptcy at that point. Yeah. So that w- really- It probably would have come out shortly after the Saturn did, but I think the Saturn did so poorly that they just were like, really like, nope, we can't afford to compete with this, this Game Boy Advance thing. Yeah. It's good that they didn't try because they would have gone under that much sooner. Yeah. All right. So there are some interesting gimmicks that came along with this guy super cool Uh, stuff honestly it is so i basically have there's about four to talk about five if you count the millions and millions of different battery pack mods there were for this thing (laughs) yeah but they were just basically like big rechargeable bricks you could you know attach to the back of your uh much like the second nomad had yep so they had a literal with a nomad they had a a battery pack that so the battery like the, the battery actual 
battery section wasn't attached to the nomad itself there was no place to put batteries inside of the nomad you had a pack that you put all the batteries in then attached the back of the nomad okay you also did an actual battery pack stuff like that really cool yeah the i believe a lot of the ones that in game gear worked as like so you did put the the batteries in the game gear but the right. way that they would work is like, you know how remote control cars have those battery packs that are just like a big solid brick? Like that's what they were. And then you would just like chunk them Slide in them. and they would yeah. they would fit where the batteries would go. Right. But yeah, not actually be batteries. Yeah, and that's that super great. Yeah. Uh, there were a few that you attached to the back. Uh, one weird one to talk about is that there was a thing called the solar gear, mm-hmm. which was a solar power pack for the game gear come on that's pretty cool it it didn't work very well but it is really it's an interesting idea it's like oh hey you can power this off of the sun and way ahead of its time yeah it it probably would have worked a lot better for the uh the uh, game boy which is kind of funny yeah yeah it was still very ahead of its time in that you just hey here's a solar charger no more batteries yeah that, that was the that was the promise yeah and that, that was not what was it was the not great <laughs> so what's really cool and i think is probably the best uh peripheral for just about anything is the tv tuner yeah there's a a companion to this that is like an fm tuner so like a radio tuner but the tv tuner is really interesting because like back when this came out so the early 90s broadcast television was still a thing so like literally you could sit down and if you were so inclined you could watch like a football game or saturday morning cartoons on your game gear because you could just pop the tv tuner in and put it on fox saturday morning cartoons and just that is super cool you could chill on the couch or in the car because this thing was portable and like Yes, it was. Yeah, I mean, you could use it. It had one of those big ass telescoping, telescoping. Oh, it, had, it has <laughs> telescopic antennas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it, it was enormous too. Like it was okay. just, oh, it yeah. was, it was like six feet long or something ridiculous yep. like that. Like it was this absolutely ridiculous antenna. Yeah. So uh, they also had the master gear converter, which yeah. uh, so the original. Uh, Sega Master System was basically an 8-bit system that a lot of cool games on it. And there a lot was of a, really good arcade ports on it. Yeah, tons, tons. So the Master Gear Converter allowed you to play, basically plug in a Sega Master System cartridge and play it on your Game Gear. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Really, it was it was the it was basically just backwards compatibility before that was really a thing. Yeah. But the hilarious thing was the absolutely hilarious thing was mm-hmm. this allowed you to do the crazy <laughs> cartridge towers yes. with the game gear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what Nintendo is known for cartridge or sorry, what Sega is known for cartridge towers. <laughs> yeah. Basically putting your console on life support to make it better or at least less shit. <laughs> Cause I, I actually don't remember if the master system had a, uh, any unlicensed titles? But no, it had like something like the Pro Action Replay or the Game Shark. Um, I don't remember that. Uh, it would, if anything, it would be a Game Genie at that point. 
let's see. Master system. Yeah, th there was a pro action replay. So you could it was it was only in the UK. Uh so theoretically you uh -huh. could <laughs> slap in the the master system converter then slap on a pro action replay <laughs> then slap on the game and just have this tower of cartridges <laughs> be playing the game with like a foot of cartridge sticking out the top of it because why not why wouldn't you <laughs> oh that actually sounds so awesome I, I really want to buy all this fun. stuff and do it I kind of want to do it too okay Last one is the handy gear. Yes, uh, like take take a look at this thing. I did, I did. No, no. So it, it's a twenty five dollar thing. That was only twenty five bucks. That was twenty five bucks. That is impressively inexpensive. So. You know the otter boxes that you have for phones nowadays that are essentially just these giant rubberized things that protect your phone? Picture that in hard plastic and over your game gear. It is a huge clamshell-like piece of shit that you slapped over your game gear in the hopes of protecting it from drops. That yep. is literally what it is. It had it even had a screen protector cover that basically acted like a... Yeah, you would flip it down over the thing. And it had a magnifier inside of it to make the screen look bigger. But it had these weird pass-through buttons. That's what made it really funny. Because yeah. I think our... Like, either my mom or my dad bought one for us. It, so that's yeah. what, like... It's just a really hilarious thing. Like, so here's the advertising for it it literally says yes you can take it everywhere and then in parentheses it says well almost we don't suggest scuba diving jesus christ like actual actual advertisement for it yeah. an electronic gaming monthly uh egm yeah. <laughs> well so, so the weird thing was, is so you have this plastic shell over it, and it had buttons and a D-pad on it, and literally all they did was manipulate the buttons and the D-pad underneath the buttons yep. and the D-pad. <laughs> so, yep. which was it, strange. It was, it was not very good. No, it, it didn't. It, I, I mentioned it didn't work very well at all. Uh, it did okay, but the interesting thing is that it, like. So weirdly, it had a carrying strap, so you could like literally okay. just like throw it over your shoulder like and carry. Purse. Yeah, <laughs> which as a kid, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and it also had a weird storage space in it for another cartridge, so you could have one cartridge in the system and another one stored in there to swap in and out, so that you could always have a second game with you. I guess or something. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, right. we didn't we didn't use it very long at all. It was like one of why not? It was one of those things where it was just like, yep, uh let's uh let's let's not do this. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. It was All too right. hard to change the batteries. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, I'm almost, I'm only partly joking. I know, that's the worst part. I, I think you I don't even think you like I don't think you could actually plug in the uh I can't imagine you could. The AC adapter. So yeah, that's I think why we eventually ditched it. It's because we played so much time with an AC adapter on a couch or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Anything else? No, like the Game Gear was a great idea. It, it just Poorly executed. Just at the wrong time. If it had okay. if it had come out a year earlier. Yeah, that's true. Like, it would have still been behind the Game Boy, like, but it only would have been six months behind the Game Boy. And instead of playing catch up to this ridiculous degree, like it had to do, it right. could have just like had its own library and kind of stood on its own. And it, I mean, it did decently. It sold ten million units. Like that is really good. That's on par with the Dreamcast. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's it's not bad at all. But comparison shopping to Nintendo's Game Boy, one hundred and eleven million units. That's still. Yeah. It's not enough, not by any stretch. No, it's not. But that's that's the thing is I think it was just it was advertising could have done better. They probably yes. needed some stronger games. Absolutely, because because that's the thing is they what made the Game Boy win was that it had games that used its platform really really damn well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there are those killer games that came out for the Game Gear. Like I don't remember any can't think of any columns definitely wasn't one like, no god and, no it wasn't and, bad it just was not tetris yeah and even like the uh shining force game that i really liked like it wouldn't have cared it's, okay. it's it's but it's not going to carry a console no not at all like no it's, it's it's a great uh title for the library but it's on its own it's not going to be sonic the hedgehog or mario or mario brothers yeah. and and this was prior to sonic Mm-hmm. To a degree, I don't think they it's, even. I don't think they ported they, any Sonic games to it. They didn't port any of them, but it had its own library of Sonic games, like Sonic Spinball, for example. Oh, okay, because this was yeah. after Sega came out with the Genesis, and Sonic was mm-hmm. out already. Okay, yeah, you're right. Never mind. I was. I don't know why I was thinking that Sonic wasn't around yet. Mainly because I'm thinking tired. about the. No, I'm thinking about the Master System the whole time. Like I'm thinking, like, sure. oh, this is out in parallel with the Master System because it has the Master System converter, and it's like, no, no, it's not. I'm, my timeline is all weird. A little bit. That's all right. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's a cool thing. I think you could pick them up super cheap now. And if you can find games for it, they're, I mean, they're not big collector's items. So if you if you wanted to get into one, it's kind of interesting. Like, it, you know, you could do it pretty, pretty reasonably. But um, generally, lowest price for Sega Game Gears are around 60 bucks. For an original Game Gear, uh, good condition. That you can find them for a range of like sixty to almost seven hundred. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I wouldn't yeah. pay seven hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Nor should you. Yeah, um, but more interestingly, Nintendo has been releasing Game Gear games in its Virtual Console. It sure has. So that's another way to get a hold of them. Is uh, amusingly. The competitor is now selling them. <laughs> yeah. Sega and Nintendo have been bedfellows for a very long time, and it's been really cool. Like, yeah. I've, I've actually enjoyed seeing a lot of Sega games come up on the, uh, the marketplace. Yeah. So, it's kind of interesting. I, I If if you want to check some Game Gear games out, I'm pretty sure it's the cream of the crop and best of the best that are actually making their way over onto the Nintendo uh, so. side of the things. So, that may be a good good opportunity to pick up some of the better titles um because i don't know some of them were not not very good yeah anyway 
Next up, we have another game corner, and it's going to be a game that we both really wanted to play called The Flame and the Flood. A roguelike adventure of you basically riding down a river, trying to survive and make it to a promised land. Yeah, Very it is a game. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, it is a survival action e. Yeah, it's similar. Roguelike. The, it's similar in the vein of Don't Starve, except it's uh, less on a on land and more on a riverboat. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then again, coming up in the future, uh, we have Paul's favorite game, Wolfenstein: The New Order, and I need yeah. to start thinking about my next pick for a favorite game that's not going to be a ridiculously long rpg because <laughs> <laughs> final fantasy 6 let's go i'd play that <laughs> like i would not have a problem with that at all i would 100 be behind that because yeah, that is one of my favorite games so it might it's going to come up eventually but i don't <laughs> like i don't know i think like, we're both, I think we're both rpg'd out right now yeah um but yes, I'm super stoked to have you play Wolfenstein the New Order. I know you haven't started it yet because you'd be raving about it to me every day. Yeah. I guarantee so, it. Interestingly, something to talk about real quick and kind of get some feedback from you guys. Uh, after the Game Corner episode, we're rolling into June. And mm-hmm. the beginning of June is E3. Yes, and so our episode after Game Corner happens to just conveniently line up with E, like the Monday after E3 is all done, like all those press conferences are done. Yeah. So that episode is going to be a summary of the stuff at E3. Yes. So our question to you guys is, do you want us to do our crazy E3 coverage where we review each of the big press conferences and talk about all of the stuff that's in each of those press conferences and just go insane over a week. And like, literally you guys will get hit with an episode every day for that week. Uh, Or do you just want the summary episode? So that's, that's kind of like, we're going to watch all the stuff anyway, because we need to like for, for the summary episode and the the summary episode. Yeah. But, Uh, do you, so how, like, like, let's put it this way. How much do you hate us? Yeah, because because <laughs> we don't know how it came came across last year. Like we don't like we did it last year. We don't know if it just annoyed people. Uh, we don't know what like. I mean, they're going to be very little editing going on in those episodes. It, it's basically just going to be we're going to blab. We're going to cut out big silent pauses and any like giant screw ups we have, and then we're going to. Uh, post it so i don't know it'll be they'll be skippable so we i mean we don't want to annoy you guys too much i don't know if we had how how much we annoy you uh but yeah so let us know do you do you want to hear the crazy e3 coverage do you do you not do you want us to just shut up and and do our regular episodes do you want more i don't know You, you you let us know yeah and the way to do that is over and our email is podcast at loadedcardgaming.com. You can find me at Paul Clue on Twitter. You can find Dan at two accounts. He runs our at loaded cart Twitter account and now he's at Chop the Viking. If you want to find us on social media, all the links are in the show notes at loadedcartgaming.com. And if you love us, please consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to us. 
it seriously helps us find other people to find the show and it's the biggest thing you can do to help us out word of mouth let people know we're here we love talking yeah we talk to you yeah and actually also, something really cool to to kind of just throw out there we have more than 600 downloads every every episode i think at this point or time or every yeah. month it's our it's, to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit podcast statistics are really weird and inaccurate and bizarre like they are it's not like youtube where you just get a number of views you just get like this weird amalgamous thing that is like here please try and interpret this and figure out how many people you have what listening to your show because you Good can't tell luck. there's no, there's no way to tell like you get yeah. no metrics and it, the best metrics we have is that there are 600 subscribers to our rss feed yeah so anyway. we, we've we've crossed over 600 which is pretty awesome yeah. uh we appreciate it and we we love all of you and if you like us maybe you can check out our patreon at patreon.com gaming smooth i like it yes and uh we we love our patreon people and i'm trying to work on some more stuff to do to uh make it even more worth the uh extra dollar or two if you you yeah. kick it in seriously we do appreciate every single person who has downloaded who has offered us yeah. you know some some money every month it's really yeah. appreciated it does help and, out and one last thing i'm going to put in the show notes is uh a link to our merch survey uh we're still doing a merch survey to see you know what kind of stuff you guys would want us to make we have a couple ideas we know we want to do t-shirts we probably are going to do a coffee mug because we would both use i would use a coffee mug that had our logo yes. and stuff on as it as long as it's something big i can't do small coffee mugs yeah that's the problem it's hard to find customizable mugs of that size yeah customizable mugs that are i mean usually they're like 15 or 16 ounce mugs which are okay uh yeah yes. exactly uh, but we're trying to come find more ideas and trying to find places to get more stuff done. Uh, might do like a sticker or something like that, just because it, you know, would be kind of fun to plaster places. Um, yep. So yeah, we're we're thinking about some things, but we want to know what you guys think, especially about prices, because we want to, you know, not have thirty dollar t shirts because yeah. those are. Like that's what I hate when you see something on Facebook and like, oh, hey, that T-shirt looks really awesome. I totally want to buy that. And you, you click on it and it's like thirty-five dollars with eight dollars shipping, and you're like, yeah, what the fuck? All that fuck is this? Sh <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to keep it at a price point that's affordable to you guys, and even with shipping, is still enough that you'd be like, okay, I can afford that without a problem. Yeah. So that that's that's the main gist of it. The, it it's going to take you less than maybe two or three minutes to fill the survey. It's, I think it's literally like eight questions. And uh, most of, most of them are just like, Hey, here's a list of things we're thinking about making. Would you, would you consider buying them? Click the ones you would consider buying. And then afterwards it's like, okay, what do you consider a reasonable price for this? And then it's like, would you, pay for shipping or do you want free shipping you like you know, I, and i don't know how much leeway we're gonna have with what with what we get set up but we're we're looking into some options and i think we have a pretty good one lined up but we'll see definitely all right anything else nope i think that's that's it i think we're we're pretty good 
so we had a bit of diarrhea of the mouth at the uh, closing thing here. But uh, other than that, folks, <laughs> tangents. Appreciate you listening. This is this is an episode of tangents. It is. It, I mean, we talked about the switch for like ten minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to our verbal diarrhea. Here's some smooth jazz to play you out. Kind of rumors. Yeah, I hate I hate yawning. It's so annoying. My my daughter woke up at like six forty five today. <laughs> dude, I was, instead I was of up. instead of eight o'clock. It's like really, dude, come on. I was up me. until one o'clock last night doing some work for, on a uh, a bit of a time sensitive project. And Olivia decides to wake me up at five thirty this morning. Yeah. I feel you, I feel you. I can't be mm-hmm. mad about that because they just did a stellar job of making sure that people knew what they were getting and how cool was it what how cool what they were. Fuck me. <laughs> how cool the thing is that they're getting. Okay, you know what? I just I give up. I give I just give up. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> do you do you wanna try that one again? Special, <laughs> god damn it. Do you wanna do you wanna try that one again so that we can edit that part out? <laughs>